0: Anywhere, that's good <laughs> and footballs still going on I remember when uh, New Year's Day was it right and now television has taken over you know everything based on commercials and how much money you can make and all this kind of stuff I remember you know in college you used to be able to be a three-letter person You play football you play basketball you play baseball now they just seasoned out how they put guys do that are athletic. But anyway, uh, In our class, Brantley and uh, Donna Boo, is it their son-in-law, Joe? Grandson. 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 Grandson, Grandson. Grandson. Grandson is, a spe- is a special kicker for the Seattle long snapper. Snapper. Oh, long snapper. So when they're ready to punt the ball, he's the one who snaps the ball. And he's playing in the Super Bowl for Seattle today. Did they fly out there to see it? They did? That's great. So, uh, that's who we're all voting for, uh, rooting for this week. So anyway, so let's take our Bibles. And uh, Dolly, I know that when you were here last, we were in the Psalms, right? So now we're in the Gospel of John. Just wanted to let you know that. <laughs> she hasn't been gone that long. Three months? Wow. So we are in the Gospel of John, and we're in Chapter 8. Uh, so we're well past the third, third, one third mark of the book. We're about 38, 40% into the book. And today we're going to cover John chapter 8, verses 12 through 29. And here's how we're going to outline this verses 12 through 20, we're going to see a contrast between light and darkness. Light versus darkness. 12 through 20. And then 21 through 29, life versus death. So two L's and two D's. Light and darkness and life and death. You're going to see some themes repeated in the Gospel of John that were mentioned before. And I'll just point them out as we go through uh, this chapter. Now the events in chapters 7 and 8 center around the Feast of Tabernacles, which is an eight-day pilgrim feast. There were three feasts. Where Jews, if they lived within 80 miles, were expected, if possible, to make a pilgrimage down to Jerusalem and celebrate the feast. And this was one of them. This is called the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus has arrived at the feast late. Maybe on a Wednesday. He's begun to teach there. And uh, now he's teaching. The feast is just completed. It's eighth day celebration. And now it's the ninth day. So the feast went from Saturday to Saturday. The events that take place, and these verses probably take place on a Sunday. So it's the day after the feast is over. And Jesus is still teaching. And he's teaching again in the temple. So look at John chapter 8, and verse 12. And just notice what he says on this day. Then Jesus spoke to them again. And them would be the masses of people who came to hear him, because they knew he was going to speak. And he said to them, I am the light of the world. Now, this is very significant. Uh, If you were with us two weeks ago, you know that the last night of the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a great water celebration. Remember we talked about that, how they brought water into the pool of Shalom and put it around the altar, and it was a fabulous water show. Okay? And in the middle of that water show, Jesus stood up and he said, If anybody's thirst, thirst, let him come to me and take a drink. I'm the water. On the first night of the feast, so the last night of the feast, there was a water show. On the first night of the feast, there was a light show. And it would have put the light show at Disney World to shame. And I want to tell you about this light show. It was a ceremony of light and illumination. And it kicked off the Feast of the Tabernacles. And what happened was in in the court of the women, which is where all the women worshipped in the temple, an outside court, four giant menorahs or lampstands were erected. They were 20 feet high. Now, if you have a house with a 10-foot ceiling, think of 20 feet. That's a pretty high lampstand. It would take hours to erect those. They had to get up on ladders and erect these lampstands. And they stood taller than the outside walls of the temple. So if you were walking down the street and you went past one of the walls, you would see these lampstands towering over the walls of the temple. The wicks for these lampstands were made out of old robes and out of clothing. And they would strip the robes and the clothing and they would weave them together and form the wicks for these giant lampstands. Attendants stood at the base of these lampstands feeding the lampstands oil. They had 71 liter containers of oil And as the light would start to dim a little bit, they'd throw more oil and it would go up again. And so this was done on a 24-hour rotation basis. And then they would light the lampstands, and the lampstands would illuminate the entire city of Jerusalem. Not just the temple area, because they were so high that they illuminated every crook and cranny of the city of Jerusalem. And if you were walking down the street at midnight, you would have thought you were walking down the street in the noonday. That's how bright it was. And people would laugh and dance and sing in the streets. So it was a fabulous show that cast its beams you know, far and wide, far beyond the temple gates. Now this light show. <clears throat> The lighting of the lampstand represented two things. First, it represented Israel's trek through the wilderness. Now, you know, and God's provision when they were in the wilderness. God provided them with bread from heaven. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He provided them with water from a rock that followed them. Jesus is the water. Come and take a drink. And not only that, God provided them with light, pillar of fire. And the people would follow that pillar of fire, which represented God's presence. And Jesus stands and he says, I'm the light. But it also represented not only Israel's past, but Israel's future. Because when the kingdom comes, it's all light. There's no darkness in the kingdom. There's no need for the sun. There's no need for the moon because Jesus is the light of the kingdom, which is going to come. And the Jews actually believed that in the, this was not part of the Bible, but they actually believed that in the last days, uh, as the Messiah showed up, that God would send a new pillar of fire to guide the people away from bondage that they were in. So, you need to understand what's happening here. And uh, one of the key verses upon which the Jews uh, believed some of these things was the book of Zechariah. So I wanted you to turn back there. you find Malachi, just go back a book. And uh, that's in your Old Testament. And next to the last book in the Old Testament, and look at Zechariah chapter 14. So here's the prophecy. And when you get to chapter 14 of Zechariah, I want you to look down in verse 6. It speaks of the day of the Lord, and God's kingdom comes upon the earth. And here's what it says, Zechariah 14.6. It shall come to pass, in that day there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day, which is known to the Lord, neither night or day. But at evening time it shall happen that it shall be what? Light. There will be light even at evening time. That's God's presence because God's presence is there. And in that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem. So there's the light and there's the water. Half of them from the east, the eastern sea, the other half toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be the king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one, and his name is one. So that's what it's going to be like in the kingdom. There's going to be light, and there's going to be water. And that's what the book of Revelation talks about, doesn't it? Rivers of living water flowing throughout the New Jerusalem, light everywhere. And so. This is the context in which Jesus makes his speech. So here's what's happening now. The, the feast is just finished. It's the ninth day. They've blown out the candles, if you want to use it. Turn out the lights. And now, guess what? They're up there and they're starting to dismantle these great big menorahs. And Jesus stands up. In the court of the women. And he cries out, I am the light of the world. I think that would get everybody's attention. Because all the lights have now gone out. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, when Jesus says that, he's claiming to fulfill the prophecy. Over in Zechariah 14. And I'll just give you some observations about this statement. Notice, first of all, he says, I'm the light of what? Not Jerusalem. See, this light filled Jerusalem. He claims to be the light of the world. It's going to even light be a light unto the Gentiles. Okay. Notice that he doesn't say, I am a light, in verse 12. He says, I am the light. Notice the exclusivity. He claims to be the true light that's going to light the entire world. Now, you know, when you look at the nature of light, light reveals things. Jesus reveals God's will. He reveals God the Father to us, what He's like. So when we see Jesus, you've seen the Father. In that sense, He's a light. Light also dispels darkness, doesn't it? Darkness is exposed by light. And so, in this sense, Jesus is light. And I mentioned that some of these themes are just repeats of other passages in in the Gospel of John And in the prologue of John, in John chapter 1, if you just turn there, just for a second if you don't mind, and look how John gives the introduction to his gospel. He has this life theme. And look what he says in the gospel of John chapter 1, in verse 4. talks about, in the beginning was the word, the word was made flesh, the word, the God, so on and so forth. In verse 4, in him was life, and this life. Was the light of men. You see that? So here we're going to, John is now, he's introducing us to this concept. In chapter 8, he's going to elaborate on this concept. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. And then in verse 9, it says, That was the true light, which lights every man coming into the world. So that's Jesus. So in John chapter 8, he's going to, John's going to tell the story in a little more detail. And he shows us that Jesus is the light of the world. So look back at John 8 and verse 12. What we have here is Jesus stands and he says, I am the light of the world. And then he says this, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So you can see how those things are repeated. Just as the Israelites followed the pillar of fire... That was going to lead them to the promised land. So Jesus says, whoever follows me will end up with life. So he is God's new pillar of fire. The pillar of fire in the wilderness represented God's presence. Jesus is the light. He represents God's presence. He says, follow me. Now, a lot of the Israelites were in rebellion against God in the wilderness, weren't they? And what happened to them? They died, didn't they? (laughs) Yeah, they were in rebellion. They died. But Jesus says, if you follow me, you will have life. If you don't follow him, of course, you will be in darkness and you will have death. So Jesus makes the statement. Pharisees hear this and they challenge Jesus. Look what they say in verse 13. The Pharisees therefore said to him, and this is my version, ah, come on now. You, know, you bear witness of yourself. In other words, anybody can say what you're saying. Your witness is not true. Now they've said that before to Jesus back in chapter five. They challenged his witness. And they said, "You're one man. Anybody can say what you're saying." You know, for for a witness to be true, you have to have at least two witnesses. Remember that? Come on, what you're saying is not valid. It's not authentic. Anyone can make your claim. So we have Jesus answers their challenge in verse 14. He answered and he said to them, Well, I think he went like that. (laughs) Even if I bear witness of myself, if, if I'm the only witness, my witness is true. Even if I bear witness to myself, my witness is true. Now, what did he say about himself? I am the what? I am the light. Uh, Light doesn't need a second witness. Light bears witness to itself. If we turned all the lights out in this room, it would be pitch black and we couldn't see anything. If I reached in my pocket and struck a match and put, and it lighted, we would all see the light, wouldn't we? The light is witnessing to itself. It doesn't need somebody else to say, that's light. Hey, we all know it's light. doesn't need a second witness. Light is self-authenticating. Does that make sense to you? So it's it's one of these, what we call, we've heard this in the American Constitution, self-evident truths. It's a self-evident truth. It's self-evident. When it's lighted, you see it. It's evident to everybody. And then he gives this explanation, he goes on in verse 14. Even if I bear witness to myself, it's true. And here's the reason. Because I know where I came from. I know my origin, which of course would be in heaven with God the Father. And number two, I know where I'm going. I know my destination. So my witness is based on knowledge. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. It's based on truth and it's based on knowledge. By contrast, look what he says in verse 14. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. Therefore, your accusation is based on ignorance. It's based on what you don't know. If you knew what I knew, you would know that my witness is true. Makes sense, doesn't it? See how the argument Jesus' logic is when he speaks to these people? So he makes a charge. And here's his charge in verse 15. He says, you know something? You judge, you discern according to what? About the flesh. Human standards. You take human standards and you judge that. And that's, that's how you do it. Uh, you use the wrong standard for judging. Wrong standard for judging. Then he says this in verse 15. I judge no one. <clears throat> now, it could mean that he doesn't judge people. You know, he's come not to judge people. Or it may, may mean, I judge no one according to those standards. I judge no one according to the flesh. Okay? We're not sure exactly what that means, but there's a double negative in this Greek text, which means, I judge no one. I mean, I do not judge like that. And then verse 16 he says, and yet I do judge. So he doesn't judge by the wrong standards, he judges by a right standard. But I do judge, and my judgment is what? True. Now let me tell you why it's true. Okay, It's true because I am not alone, meaning when I judge. But I am with the Father who sent me. Now, we know that Jesus never says anything unless he does what? Here's the Father saying it, right? So when Jesus judges, he's actually presenting God's case. He discerns based on God's standards. And so Jesus says, you know, I judge accurately. And then he says this in verse 17. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness to me. So if you want two witnesses, I'm going to give you two witnesses. I'm going to give you my witness, and I'm going to give you the witness of the Father that what I say is true. Now, that's not how they judge. They want two human witnesses. He's talking about His heavenly Father who witnesses and testifies that Jesus indeed is His Son and is true. And so what they do is they cross-examine Jesus because when He says, Father, they're not thinking of God. So look what they say in verse 19. Then they said to Him, well, where is your Father? Bring Him on. Let's bring him on. Let's hear what he has to say about you. Bring him on here. And uh, Jesus said, You neither know me nor my father. And so we see that uh, they do not recognize uh, Jesus' father as being God. Jesus sort of rebukes them with that statement. He said, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. If you would have known me, you would have known my father also. And this was the problem. The Jews did not understand that God was a father. They had no concept of God being a father. You can't find that in the Old Testament. There's three times that God's called a father in the Old Testament. was a father of the nation. In sort of a generic type way. No Jew would ever think of God being personally related to him or her as a father, son, father, daughter. And so Jesus said, you know, if you would have known me. If you'd known me, you would have known the Father. And they don't know Jesus. They reject Jesus. They reject His testimony. And therefore, they cannot see the Father. Jesus reflects the Father. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is God's presence among us. And they have missed that. So, this is sort of a condemnation upon them. See, they're ignorant. They've not accepted Jesus' word. Now, they would have known Jesus was the truth. What Jesus said was the truth. We know this from last week or the week before. You would have accepted my testimony. Anybody who wants to do something, anybody know what that is? The will of God will know whether I'm telling the truth or not. Which shows that they have no desire to know the truth. And do the truth. So now in verse 20... It finishes out this little section of light. We have the gospel writer John's Summer. So now the gospel writer himself writes, and he says this These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. Now, a couple things about verse 20. First of all, we discover where Jesus was when he was teaching about being the light. He's in the treasury. Well, where's the treasury? The treasury is in the court of the women. And it was an elevated section in the court of the women. So it was like on a platform. And it was called the treasury because they had 13 containers where you could come and put your money, your offerings, in to support the temple and the priest and all these different things. And Six were, were for one thing and three were for another. And these containers were called trumpets. Because the rim of the container was wide and open. So you could throw a coin in and it would go around and around. You've seen them go, those kinds of containers where they would go around and around. But the neck of the container was very thin. <coughs> very narrow so you can never reach in to get your money out or steal any money that was put in and that was called a trumpet and there were thirteen of these and that's right there in the court of the women and it was a probably the busiest place in the temple because people were always coming daily putting money in this is where the scene takes place with Jesus and the widow's mite, remember that? it says he was sitting in the temple watching people give their money and he. Here was a widow and she just threw in a little mite. And Jesus said, she's given more than all. Because what? She gave all. Everything that she had. Even though it was a little bit. So that's where it takes place and that's the summary. So that's light versus darkness. Okay, now let's move on to the second discussion of life versus death. And that starts in verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, I'm going to go away. And you will seek me and will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. Now that's a repeat of chapter 7, verses 33 and 34. He said that before. Remember, if you've been here for a couple weeks, you know, he said, I'm going to go away. Where I go, you can't come. So on and so forth. But he adds something in verse 23. He adds this statement. I'm going to go away and you'll seek me and look what you'll do. You'll die in your Sin. To die in a sin in your sin meant that you were beyond hope. You couldn't be redeemed. You're dead and you haven't been redeemed and thus you are lost. So this is a real strong statement of condemnation against these people. I'm going to go away. When I go away, you're going to seek me. But it'll be too late. You're going to die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Do you think they understand what he's saying? They never understand what he's saying. Look at verse 22. We get their reaction. And so the Jews said, Will he kill himself? Will he kill himself? Because he says, Where I go, you cannot come? Now this is what I call a case of selective hearing. (laughs) Because in verse 21, he said, I'm going to go somewhere where you can't come and you're going to die in what? In your sins. They don't even, they don't touch it. You're going to die in your sins. <laughs> they don't hear that. That that's, condemns them. <laughs> so all they hear is that he's going to go somewhere where they can't go. And they said, maybe he's thinking about committing, uh, committing suicide. We're certainly not going to go there. <laughs> We're not going to do that. So you can see this is, selective hearing, and they said, we're not going to follow him in that fiasco, so now Jesus pushes back, he said to them, you're from beneath, wow. you're from beneath, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world, in other words, you've cast your lot with this world. You've chosen to follow the ways of men. You've chosen to give your allegiance to Rome. You've chosen to do what's expedient, that you can stay in power, he's saying to the Pharisees. You have uh, cast your lot with a world that's passing away. And you're going to go down the tubes with it. You're going to die in your sin, and there's going to be no hope. Now for me, look, I'm from above. Uh, I'm not of this world. Sort of like he said to Nicodemus, you know, I'm from above. You must be born from above. If you're not, if you're just born into the flesh, you'll die, and that's the end of it. So he lays this out to them. Then verse 24, he said, "Therefore I say to you that you, therefore, because you're of this world, because you're from beneath, therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins." Now that's a repeat of verse 21, isn't it? Except for one letter. What's the difference? Verse 21, you'll die in your sin. Verse 24, you'll die in your sins, plural. What's the difference between dying in your sin and dying in your sins? The Jews' concept of sin was a condition, it was a state. You're going to die in a state of sin. And you're going to die having committed a lot of sins that are going to be held against you. So one is a state and one is a manifestation of that state. That sins That's the reason for judgment. Because they are of this world they're not of God and they're going to die in their sins. Then he says this in verse 24. For if you do not believe that I am he you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am, and notice the word he is in italics, isn't it? In your Bible. If you do not believe that I am, that's the way God identified Moses in the burning bush. They said, well, who are you? And God said, tell them that I am, that I am sent you. Jesus uses that same word. If you do not believe that I am, I am God's representative, I am the manifestation, I am the presence of God, you will Die in your sins. Notice there's a certainty there. If you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Every time Jesus says that. I guess that's pretty important. You think they would get the message, but when your heart is hardened, you do not get the message. Look at their response. Verse 25. Then they said to him, You can read this any way you want. Who are you? What do you mean, I am? Who are you? Or you can read it like, Who are you? Like, who do you think you are? (laughs) Now, how do you think they read it? I don't know if they read either, how they read it, but how they said it, but uh, maybe they said it like, well, who do you think you are? And... uh, now, look at Jesus' response. This is very interesting. Jesus said, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. Uh, who am I? I haven't changed my story. I'm the same guy I was, you know, back in chapters 1 and 2. <laughs> this is what I've been saying. That's one way you can read Now, there's two ways you can read the response. So one way is, well, nothing's changed since the beginning. That's who I am, the same guy that I said I was back then. You just haven't been listening. That's one way of reading. The second way of reading it is like this. They said, who are you? And he says, and it can be read this way, I am the, notice the word the beginning, I am the beginning one. That's how I can read in the Greek. I am the beginning one. How does John's Gospel open? In the beginning of the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. I am the beginning one. How does Genesis open? In the beginning what? God. Now, see, so he could be saying that. Either way, he's getting his point across. He is God's representative on earth, the manifestation of God. And this is what he's been saying all along, and they just haven't been hearing it. Now we come to what I call the big put down. Okay, look at verse 26. He said, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world, world those things which I have heard from him. Now when you read that, you say, well, what does that mean? Because that's not a real clear statement, it doesn't seem, until you see that there, there are two subjects here, two objects. The first in verse 26 is I have many things to say and judge concerning who? You. That's the first object. <laughs> I have a lot of things that I want to say to you. But he who sent me is true. And guess what? Everything I say you reject. You don't reject it as true. You, you reject it as being false. You say that's not valid. So, I would love to say some things to you, but I'm getting pretty tired of all this. So look at what he says at the end of verse 26. And I speak to what? The world. Look at that. The world. Those things which I've heard from him. So it says you won't accept it. Guess who I'm going to speak to? I'm going to speak to the world. They'll listen. So here Jesus decides that he's going to and who does he go to? He goes to, you know, tax collectors and sinners and all those kinds of people and he preaches the gospel to them. The Jewish leaders, he's speaking to the Pharisees. Now these Jewish leaders will be bypassed. They will have reached a point where it's too late for them. They're going to die in their sin. In fact, he said it's a certainty. Then, if you don't believe on me, go what? Die in your sin. So he'll speak to others. They'll go beyond the Pharisees. It's been nice to get to religious leaders, but... Hey, they rejected. So now, John pipes in. The writer, gospel writer John pipes in and he throws in his, uh, his two cents. So look what he says in verse 27. They didn't understand that he spoke to them of the Father. They didn't understand that he spoke to them of the Father. And you know, verse 26, he said, I speak what I've heard from him. John said, and they didn't understand that he spoke to them. They weren't getting it. It was like water running off of a duck's back. They just weren't getting it. Their ears were closed. Their eyes were closed. They didn't didn't hear it right. They were missing the point. And when Jesus says, Father, they're not thinking of God. That's not in their consciousness. So verse 28 says, Then Jesus said to them, this is interesting, when you lift up the Son of Man, probably on the cross. When you put him on that cross, then you will know that I am. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. So, when they put him on the cross and they get rid of him, Suddenly they're going to realize there's something special about this guy. Because you know what's going to happen? Everything's going to go dark. (laughs) The whole world's going to go dark. There's going to be earthquakes. and All kinds of things are going to happen. But by that time it's too late for them. They've rejected him. They've had their chance. They've decided to get rid of him. They put him on the cross. They're going to kill him. And guess what? They basically seal their fate. And it's too late for them. Uh, But others will realize that Jesus indeed is the Messiah. And then verse 29 says... And he who sent me is with me. (coughs) Even though you don't know who it is, don't understand it. The Father has not left me alone. For I always do those things that please him. The Father is with me. He does not leave me alone because I always do the things that please him. So if you're against me, who are you against? You're against the Father. See, and that's basically what they have done. They, they have, Jesus has this relationship to, the, to God as a father to a son, and they've rejected God's representative on earth. And so, what we have in this passage is that Jesus is the light. We have in this passage that Jesus is life, is the life. Apart from Jesus, the light, we walk in darkness. Apart from Jesus, the life, we walk in death and our faith is sealed. And so that's the section that takes place the day after the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus says, I'm the water, I'm the bread, I'm the light. Next week we'll pick up with verse 30 and onward where Jesus continues to talk to the Jews about his relationship with God as father and their relationship with their father called oh, the devil. Up Lord we thank you for your word. We realize that if we were living in the first century we may have been like these Pharisees. We may have been critical, we may have been suspicious, we may have missed, missed the point. Just as many miss the point today, they hear the gospel. Oh Lord, we thank you that that we have this word inscripturated, we have this word before us, that we can take home with us, that we can read daily. We ask that you open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, help us to proclaim that Jesus indeed is the great I am. Lord, help us to realize that if we follow him, we walk in the light. If we follow him, we walk in life. In Christ's name.